We're going to do this this morning. We are going to read um, verses 1 through 21 together. Um, and this will probably be the last time that we read that whole section together this morning. Our focus will be in the last six verses, specifically on the very last verse, verse 21. And so I'm going to invite you to, um, to read along with me. And why don't we do this? Let's just get a reset moment. Would you stand with me this morning? Let's stand for the reading of God's Word this morning, if you are able. Let's begin and read this together this morning. Ephesians 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Today, as I said earlier, we'll be looking again at the last six verses of this part of chapter 5, and in particular at verse 21. So let's read those verses again together this morning, verses 15 through 21. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, 
giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, at the beginning of chapter 4, Paul has urged the Ephesian church, and by virtue us as well, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. And Paul has gone to great pains and lengths to show us what that kind of walking looks like. Specifically, it looks like the people of God, his beloved children, imitating their father. Imitating their father. This is our calling, to imitate our father. The eternal calling of the Father from before the foundation of the world, setting His affections on a people and purposing to adopt them as His own, even as we sang about this morning. So then, Paul says, walk in a manner worthy. Walk in a manner worthy of that calling whereby by Almighty God you have been brought into His family, been called and made, not just called, made His children. Even as we read in, verse, in chapters 1 and 2, His own offspring, which is pretty amazing. He says, so then walk in a manner worthy. Therefore, that means, verse 15 of chapter 5, that we must then pay attention. If we're called to walk in a manner worthy, that means that we must walk circumspectly. In other words, as he says, wise, not as unwise, meaning paying attention. He says what? Look carefully then how you walk. Now, this is not merely minding your P's and Q's. Anyone's parents ever say that to them when they had to go somewhere? Mind your P's and Q's. Maybe that was just me. Maybe that's a weird thing. I still don't know what P's and Q's are. I think it has to do with writing and making sure that you get the, you know, the P doesn't have a little thing off of the end of it and a Q does. I think that's what it is, but I really don't know. I just knew that meant make sure I say please and thank you, that I was polite that I used the right fork at the right time, and then my, you know all that kind of stuff, right? That 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 there was some kind of um, uh, process by which I had to make sure that I was living in a way, in a manner worthy of what it meant to be a hooper when I went to someone else's house, so that those people didn't disdain my family name, right? And it's easy for us in this moment to think that that's all this is. That it's just external, moralistic behavior modification. But that is not true. Even when I was going to my friend's house, what I should have understood was not just that I needed to do the right thing, but there was something about being who I was and who my family was that my parents were asking me to do these things. Unfortunately, my motivation was usually just that I wouldn't get in trouble rather than it was bearing my family name 
into foreign territory. <laughs> this is not what this is about. Because we are not doing to become, but rather we are living from our identity of who and whose we are because of Christ. Walking out our lives in submission to the Holy Spirit by whom we receive the works of Christ applied to us and are enabled to cry out in the first place, Abba, Father to Almighty God. Essentially, this is what being filled with the Spirit refers to here. Remember from last week as Greg preached the feeling like the mainsail of a ship. I loved the imagery of that. The mainsail of a ship being filled with the wind, submitted to its power and directed by its leading. That is our call to walk in submission to the Holy Spirit. It is in this submission to the Holy Spirit that brings us here to verse 21 where Paul calls us to another submission. Verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now what we need to understand, first of all, is that this verse, verse 21, is a transitional verse that's going to lead us from chapter 4 and the first part of 5 into the last part of 5 and the first part of 6. Because in the remainder of chapter 5 and the first part of chapter 6, Paul is going to walk through what would have been for these Ephesians who were receiving this letter in the first place, a familiar construct in their world. A, a structure that Paul embeds here in Ephesians that mirrored, I have a really hard time saying that word, mirrored um, <laughs> their own Greek culture and the philosophers of their day and their own ideas of ethics showing a familiar pattern of familial family relationships whereby the philosophers of that day would give instruction, and as they gave instruction, they would begin with this household model, and they would give instruction to both the husband and to the wife, to the parents and also the children, to the masters and also to the slaves. And so as Paul goes into this structure, it would have been very familiar for these people as they received this letter. They would have caught on, oh, oh, this is a familiar pattern and structure that Paul is laying out. But here, Paul gives two first submissions that go before the husband and the wife. First submitting to the Holy Spirit and then submitting to one another fully overriding the racial and class systems of that day. The same heart is behind when Paul says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, nor male nor female, nor slave nor free. Why? He's overriding those societal structures and he's calling the church into mutual submission to one another. Submission that, that is not predicated upon authority, according to society. Not predicated upon 
racial or social status because of classes and not even according to the socioeconomic status of these people. I want you to understand this even goes to the point of saying that the most impoverished member of the church and the most wealthy member of the church are here also called into mutual submission with one another. Now can you imagine? Imagine, who was it? Was it Lydia that dealt in purple? Now you understand what that means, right? Purple was the color of royalty. And meaning that she dealt in purple meant that she was involved in the making and the dyeing of materials that royalty and only the most very wealthy would wear. And I promise you, it did not come cheap for them. Which means what? That Lydia was most likely involved in a strata of society that goes beyond probably any of our imaginations. And imagine here, she is called, if they were in the same place, but let's use two characters just to bring the, the, the image in our mind together, that she is called into mutual submission with the lame man that Peter and John prayed for on their way to pray at the temple in the book of Acts. Imagine what it would look like to submit your very life to the members of the body in that way. This is radically countercultural. And it's what we've been called to mutual submission to one another. And Paul shows us that the Christian ethic must begin with submission to, as Greg so aptly put it last week, the profound and controlling effect and influence of the Holy Spirit who has filled us. From that place of submission to the indwelling Spirit, from there, submission to one another is one of the greatest examples of the Spirit-filled life. And that submission flows through all of the most basic relationships of life. And so Paul will continue. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Parent, children, obey your parents. Parents, do not provoke your children to wrath. Masters, be good to your slaves. Slaves, obey your masters. He, he filters this all the way down through all the different parts and forms of familial relationships in the known world at that time and shows us that that kind of submission to one another can only come if we are first submitted to and filled by the Holy Spirit. 
that leads us into a mutual submission to one another as the body of Christ and filters down through the familial relationships in our lives. Interesting, isn't it, that he places the mutual submission and relationship with the body of Christ before the familial relationships that we have in our home. It is reminiscent of the teachings of Jesus when he talks about how that within the believers we have our true relationships with one another. And so that submission flows through all the most basic relationships of life, but it begins with submission to the Spirit of God and moves to His body, the church, and from there into the home. But the submission here is different than the submission to the Holy Spirit. Remember the word filled, I'm not going to, I'm going to forget it now, peirau, peirau. Right? That was the word Greg showed us last week. Where the filled, that that was talking about, where it says be filled with the Holy Spirit, There's this. it connotates a kind of submission, but it was in the passive voice. Meaning that all of the accomplishment was being done by the Spirit. We were passively receiving and thereby submitting to the work that was being done by the Spirit. But here, it's different. The word submitting here is the Greek word hupatsaso. It's got the first part of my name in it, hoop. Which comes not from the passive, but rather from the middle voice, and it means to, quote, subject oneself, to obey, to submit to one's control, to yield to one's admonition or advice, absolutely. Admonition is a word we've heard a few times today already. But this isn't just talking about church discipline. Although I will say this. If the body of Christ was in mutual submission to one another, most church discipline in the church would take place in the form of informal church discipline and never actually make it to formal church discipline and the involvement of the elders in a specific hands-on way. If we were submitted to one another, yielding to one another's admonitions and advice, absolutely. Here, Paul is calling for the body, the church, to yield to one another, to subject themselves to one another, to each other, and to offer themselves up to their admonition or advice. This speaks much to the kind of isolation that many Christians live in today. Because that is not mutual submission. That is not submitting themselves to their admonition and advice. Making decisions without consulting their brothers and sisters, which means that they have not subjected themselves to their admonition or advice. We are not called to walk in a way that shows us to be out of step with the body, moving along with no accountability, with no input from the body of believers that God has surrounded us with. No humility to think that perhaps God has placed within our own body, think about this, 
we must humble ourselves to consider that perhaps God has placed within our own body those who have walked the path that we are walking before us. That he has placed them here to help us, encourage us, even to instruct us, and perhaps even at times to rebuke us. Or even to help lighten the load that we may be burdened with and rests upon us. Lest we forget that this is what we are also called to do for one another, to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And if you will not submit to the body and family that God has surrounded you with, how will you then submit to the family he's placed in your own home? That is where Paul is leading us, how the gospel influences our familial relationships, even in the home, husbands, wives, parents, children, masters, slaves. And so here is the question I have for you this morning. How, let me me say this to the men this morning. Men, how, how can a family, how can your family be assured that their husband and father are in submission to God? What will be the display to your children and to your wife that you are in submission to God? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, what are they going to look for? What are they going to see? And my answer to that question is that it should be that they would see us, men, they would see us in humble submission to the body of Christ. All my single ladies, put your hands up. Sorry. All my single ladies, let me ask you a question. How do you know if the man who has caught your eye will live in mutual submission with you in the covenant bond and relationship of marriage? as you see him in humble submission to the body of Christ. All my single men, how how can you know and be assured that the young lady that has caught your eye will live in mutual submission with you in the home if you are to enter the covenant bond of marriage? when you see her in humble submission to the body of Christ? How can we, how can we be assured, parents, that our children, when they graduate and they move on into new seasons of their life, how can we be assured 
that they will carry on forming relationships in the home that will live in mutual submission to Christ and to each other. How can, we, how can we rest assured of those things as we see in them, even as they grow, a humble submission to the body of Christ? I can't help but think of James here when he says, you say you have faith? Show me your works. And I'll tell you whether or not you have faith. Paul is showing us that a life that is lived walking in a manner worthy of the calling with which we have been called entails a spirit-filled submission to the body of Christ. Even as Paul would say regarding marriage in 1 Corinthians 7 that the husband does not belong to himself but rather to his wife and likewise the wife does not belong to herself but rather to the husband. Believer, so you also do not belong to yourself but you have been joined with the body of Christ and belong to her. This means that you have a responsibility to your church to guard her, protect her, be invested in her growth and maturity and safekeeping. You have a responsibility to the rest of, the, of her members to participate in their nurture and on admonition in the Lord. To build each other up in every way into Christ who is the head by speaking the truth of God's word in love to your fellow members and by yourself being in submission also to the other members there. But where does this submission to one another begin? I say that it begins in submission to the authority of God's word. For how can I receive this as an imperative if I am not first submitted to this word? If I'm not in submission to this word, then all I see is a suggestion. Maybe, maybe that might be good for you to do. Maybe that would work out well if you did that. Maybe you would receive some kind of benefit from living a life in that way. That is a life that is not in submission to the Word of God, but is rather taking suggestions from the Word of God. But we are not called to take suggestions from the Word of God, church. We are called to be a creature of the Word in submission to the authority of God's Word. This is why we say sola scriptura instead of sola feels. Because we are not called to walk in a manner where we get to do whatever feels right. But rather, we are called to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which we have been called, which has been laid out for us by the Word of God. Understanding that in Scripture we have all that we need for life and godliness, 2 Peter 1.3. And that all Scripture breathed out by God is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, 2 Timothy 3.16. And so the next step is logical. Go there with me. 
if I'm submitted to the Word of God itself, I must then be submitted to the preaching of God's Word within the church and the ministry of God's Word among its members. What does verse 21 say? Submission to one another out of reverence for Christ. The word reverence there is the Greek word phobos, which is where we get our word for phobia. It literally means fear, but in this sense it is not a terror, but it is properly understood as a right reverence to Christ as the King. He is our King. And it is in submission to Him through the Holy Spirit that we have been called into mutual submission to one another. The kind of reverence that Paul is calling us to have is the kind that you would have of He who has the authority to take your life. Remember what Jesus said when they came back and they said the demons, the demons flee. He said, don't be amazed at this, right? Don't, don't be astounded. Rather, be astounded by understanding that no matter what people may seek to do to you, they can only destroy the body. Be afraid of the one who can judge you forever. Let us remind ourselves what it really means to ask if we are in submission to the authority of God's word. Truly, we could ask this a more simple way. Are you in submission to Christ? For He is Himself the very Word of God and the One whom Scripture communicates to us. Anyone can say, oh yes, I, I'm in submission to Christ. But if they are not in submission to Scripture, then that is not true. We ask, are you in submission to the authority of Scripture? For that is where we can find if you are truly in submission to Christ. So, are we in submission to Christ by His Word? Can we please just answer this question truthfully this morning? The answer is no. Not in every way that we should be. Not in every way that we want to be. For there are still areas, and I'll just speak for myself for a second, there are still areas of my life where I am in rebellion to Christ, and I know it. Where I have not submitted to His authority in my life. Why? Because I am a sinner. The chief of sinners. I am in rebellion to His word because the standard is perfection. And I have not yet attained it, nor can I. And what need, hear me, what need would I have of a Bible that only ever told me that I lined up perfectly with God's will and way? This is not Mary Poppins' tape measure, and I am not Mary Poppins. For I 
read the Word of God and I am confronted with a mirror that reflects to me the glory and the holiness and the perfection of an almighty God while at the same time showing me my own inability to meet that standard of perfection and holiness. I need a Bible that does that for me. I need a Bible that shows me my error, shows me the perfect and holy righteousness of God, and then shows me my own sin and inability. Why? Because that same word in law also preaches to me the gospel that at once points me to Christ in whom my sin and my error is forgiven and His righteousness is transferred to me. By the law I am destroyed and by the gospel I am raised to new life. Whereby I might exalt the Christ of my salvation and glory in His cross. That's what it means to be built up in every way into Christ who is the head. Recognizing that it is His person and work that matters and not my own as I stand before God. And in that, because I'm built up, then I realize that works that come from my own efforts to earn a right standing with God only cause to pull me down away from Him. For my works are, as Isaiah said, filthy rags, and as Paul says, a pile of dung. But once I have realized, once I have seen and tasted the gospel, once I'm reminded of Christ and I realize that I have found favor with God in spite of my sin because of Christ, now from that place, joyful works of gratefulness and thanksgiving build me up and the others around me. For God does not need my good works. My family does. My church does. And so do my neighbors and my co-workers. Have you considered that the good works that God has called you to are not for Him? He doesn't need anything from you. You don't add anything to Him. Thank God. Through its members, Christ is caring for his own body, nurturing it as a good husband, even as Paul will continue to tell us about in the rest of chapter 5. Church, this is why, number one, first and foremost, and not number one in the sense of points, okay, I'm almost done. Just, I'm going to tell you two things and here's the first one. First and foremost, I need, I need the gospel every single day. I need the gospel every single day. 
to be reminded that it is not by keeping the commands of the word that I am saved, but rather Christ has saved me himself by his blood and cross and has brought me from death to life in his resurrection. But secondly, I need, I need the ministry of the word through the preaching of the word as well as the ministry of the word through my brothers and sisters in Christ. I need to be confronted with my errors and pointed to Christ so that I can be built up and matured and also help others to be built up and matured as well. Look back at chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints, to equip the members of the body of Christ, to equip your brothers and your sisters in Christ for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until, until when? Until we all attain to the unity of of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's amazing. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, how is this happening? Speaking the truth in love, Jesus prayed, John 17, Father, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. What is the truth that we're meant to be speaking to one another in love? It's the truth of the word of God. Applying the word of God to one another in correction, in rebuke, in exhortation, in encouragement, in comfort, in every place of life. Doing that, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together. Now listen to that, joined and held together. Where have we heard those words before in Ephesians? Joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's remember twofold. One, how we are to be built up, namely through the ministry of the word by the officers instituted by God in the church as shown to us in Ephesians 4, but also through the regular and ongoing and ordinary ministry of the word by those whom they have equipped for this purpose. Every other member of the body of Christ who is to speak the truth of God's word to us in love, whereby through that process we are being built up together in every way into Christ who is the head. So let's remember how. That's how. But let us also remember on the other hand into what we are being built up as. Or rather how we are being, as Paul says at the end here, joined together. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. 
So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together does what? Grows, are you looking? Ephesians 2, end of chapter 2. Grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Church, how can this be accomplished if we are not united first of all by God in Christ's own person and work, but then also in submission to one another through the ongoing bending of our own will unless we misunderstand what submission really is. The ongoing bending of our own will not to the other person but to the authority of the word as the body ministers that word to us. And when they minister the word, they are ministering Christ. When we, do you understand that when we come and we speak that truth in love to one another, that what we're really ministering to one another is Christ. We're giving each other Christ. And we are called to give Christ who is the word to one another through the word of the truth of Scripture which again is Christ. That is why the preaching of God's word, both law and gospel, and the right dividing of these two is so vital and important to the life of the church. Without it, without the word, we not only falter and fail, but we cease to actually exist Because we are a people who have been created by the word. And in that we are created to be sustained by the word, the very thing that has formed us. Think about this. A church without the word is like a river without water. It is no longer a river but is rather a ravine and the vestige of what once was full of life and vitality, but now is the very picture of death and decay. Church submission to each other out of reverence for Christ also involves the engagement and the reception of the 59 various one another's in the New Testament. There's a two-sided effect to these things where on one hand we are called to engage in them on behalf of one another, but on the other we are called also to receive them from one another. That's mutual submission. So one might be happy to speak the truth in love to someone, but to personalize it, Am I equally receptive to the truth being spoken to me? 
And what about this whole idea where Paul overrides all of the natural, societal, class structures that even today we still exist in to a certain point, even if it is only by age, which we did not mention earlier. Could it really be that Paul is calling us to such radical submission that it also includes our children? That it also includes those who are so new in their faith that we might rightly call them infants? Is there room in our submission to one another even for those who are yet immature? Can I tell you something? There are times when the youngest members of my house are able to cut through the layers of hypocrisy that I might live in and speak the truth in a way that cuts deep but is true. And God uses even the youngest among us at times to build up the old. And so we are called to bear with one another. Are we willing to deal in grace and love with one another, bearing with one another as we engage in these things, even in faltering and stumbling ways? Can I tell you something really, really cool about Matthew 18? Sometimes we really like don't approach even the brother or sister who sinned against us or we think has sinned against us in the most Christ-like, loving, and humble way. Want to know something awesome about Matthew 18? That person can bear with the immaturity of that person, receive that admonition, submit to them, and apologize for any offense that has been given, and turn around after and say, now, can I just talk to you about the heart in which you came to me in? Can we come back through Matthew 18 a little bit together here? Because that was actually a sin against me. But I want you to know I love you and I hear you. But what I hope is that if you have to walk through this process again, that you wouldn't take the same heart and course of action that you did this time. Let's both be encouraged in this and mature together and grow up into Christ. Did you know you can walk through Matthew 18 with your elders? You can and you should. That wasn't in my notes. I just felt like I needed to say that. This brings us back to the beginning of chapter 4, where Paul urges us to walk with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Church, at the end of the day, and yes, this is the end of my sermon, this submission is what walking in humility and gentleness 
with patience, bearing with one another in love and maintaining the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace looks like. May Christ do this work here and in us by the Holy Spirit for the glory of the Father and the good of this body, His body, the church. Amen? Would you stand with me this morning? Father, would you do in us today by your Spirit what we are unable to do for ourselves? God's submission doesn't come easy. I want autonomy. In my flesh, I want my own way. I don't want to be subject to other people because I'm full of pride. Father, destroy that pride in me, I pray. Humble us, O God. Humble us by your mighty hand. God, give us a desire to see this lived out. May this not be just a sermon that was preached and then forgotten. But may you use this word to quicken our hearts, O God. For your word is living and active it is sharper than any two-edged sword and it is able to pierce and divide bone from marrow, soul and spirit. And so God, I pray that you would do that masterful surgical work in us today. That you would cut away the arrogance and pride and hypocrisy that is in us. And you would create in us humility, gentleness and patience for one another and a desire, God, to submit to one another, understanding that it is through that submission to one another that you are, you are caring for us nurturing us and providing for us. As we come to the table and as we worship today, O oh God, may the mainsail of our hearts be filled by your Spirit so that we might walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have called us as your own dearly beloved children. Pray this today in Jesus' name. Amen.